you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning and happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. We are so honored that you're joining with us today. We are grateful for this time of worship. Thank you for choir and orchestra. Was that, was that Sandy Porter or was that Sherilyn Patty? I don't know which of those that might be, but she did a home run and we are grateful for her. I'm going to invite you. There's a communication card. It's somewhere in front of you in the pew. If you'll go ahead and grab that for me, just ask that everyone would do this. Uh, just please do it. There's some, every time I do this, there's, there's some angry looking man's got his arms folded at me. I might be that guy someday, but uh, just want you to grab that in just a moment. Invite you to take that uh, by the end of today's service. If you're a first time guest, we have a gift that we want to give to a charity of your choice. And so we invite you to come by at the end of the service. You'll see me there. You'll see my wife there. You'll want to come see us because she's there. She's good looking, but you'll probably come see us because I'm so tall and you'll be able to find us. So come by and we'd love to connect with you. But go ahead and just hang on to that card, if you will. We'll give you some more instructions in just a moment. Easter is a time of tremendous hope. It's hope because what Jesus Christ did by crucifixion and resurrection He brings us this word, grace. Easter is about grace. And in the moments to come, I want you to see that. Just a quick programming note. The screen behind me will have the passages for you. And so you can look at that. If you can't see it, if I'm in the way, uh, you'll see the same thing up above me. Of course, you can look at the real thing. The real thing can't be beat. Page 1160 in that black pew Bible right in front of you. You can go ahead and grab that be our gift to you. You can just take that out of here. Nobody, nobody will stop you, frisk you, anything like that. In all seriousness, we'd be honored for you to have that. So keep, keep the communication card handy. Keep looking at Ephesians 2 with me as we look today what an empty tomb means with grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8, which you heard the Yo-Yo family read just a moment ago, the Bible says, by grace. There's our word. Easter, in a word, means grace. And that's the hope. That's the tremendous hope that Easter gives, and it's found in this little word right here. Now, as Americans, we understand more about the love the Bible tells us, but we struggle with this word grace. We don't really get a hold of it. And this word, Ephesians 2.8, gosh, it is, some of you, this is your favorite verse in all the Bible. This is the, like, the number one. You'd say, I want this verse read at my service or... This is a verse you could even take these words, verses 8 and 9, and just write them right above the cross at Easter. Now, they, they didn't, but you very well could have, because this explains the why. This is the why for what Jesus did on the cross. This is the why for what he rose again for. This little word, grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is what God gives us, even though we don't deserve it. Grace is what God gives us, even though I deserve the opposite of that. And what we look at here is when God gives us grace, what makes it so difficult to get a hold of this word is that it's contrary to human nature. We think about the big problems in the world, the big problems. When you come to the big problems, the military will say, well, we've got to fight our way out. The philosophers will say, we've got to think our way out. Industry will say, we've got to work our way out. Politicians said we have to legislate our way out, and the working man says there ain't no way out. 
But the way out is Jesus. And this Jesus is spelled G-R-A-C-E, grace. And what, what among us, who among us, would think that God would engineer everything this way? What are the odds of that? Reminds me of a story of a teacher, elementary school teacher. She was evidently trying to get her students to learn how to spell. So she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have each one of you stand up, introduce yourself, tell us what your parents do as an occupation. You're going to spell your father and mother's occupation, and then you can sit down. So the first one up was Mary. Mary said, hi, I'm Mary. My mother is a baker. Baker, B-A-K-E-R. Mary said, if my mother was here, everybody would get a cupcake. My mother's a baker. Well, Mary sat down and up stepped Tommy. Tommy said, my dad's a banker. Banker, B-A-N-K-E-R. And if my dad were here, my dad were here, everybody would get a dollar bill. Things were going along pretty well. Then was Jimmy. Jimmy stood up, and Jimmy had just a challenge. Jimmy said, my dad's an ophthalmologist. So Jimmy tried it a couple times, and the teacher graciously said, Jimmy, won't you sit down? Won't you sit down for right now? And you step back up later when you think about how to spell the name. Well, that's when Johnny, his classmate, uh, stood up. Johnny said, my dad is a bookie, bookie, B-O-O-K-I-E. And if my dad were here, he would lay down 10 to 1 odds that he ain't ever going to be able to spell ophthalmologist. What are the odds that God would engineer everything by grace? Again, it's so, it's so contrary to human nature. It's not the way we think. I'm going I'm to show you this, okay? You fill in the word when I say the statement. You get what you pay for, right? God helps those who help themselves. There's no such thing as a free, and that's true, written. But all that, again, the Bible says, contrary to all of human nature, there's a God who is gracious, and he works. He's engineered everything for grace. The Bible says, by grace, by grace. In fact, let's keep moving on. Just look at a little more part of the emphasis here. By grace, you've been saved. Look at this next part here. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift. Look at this. It's a gift so that no one may boast. Everything in Ephesians 2.8, again, I said it could be written above the cross of Jesus, could be written on the tomb of Jesus. Everything here is pointing away from human achievements, pointing away from our performance. The Bible is pointing away from what you and I can contribute. And think about this for just a second. This word save we'll look at in just a minute. But how, how do you propose that you're going to save yourself? How do you propose you're going to save yourself? You think math might work? So let's say we're going to save myself by subtraction. There's certain things I'm going to subtract from my life. Let's say that I'm going to quit cussing. Well, you'll be one of the best spoken people in hell if you quit cussing, if that's all you do. You say, well, I'm going to quit cheating. You'd be one of the most honest people in hell. I'm going to quit drinking. You might want to start drinking when you get to hell to do what that is going to look like. You'd be a sober person. You cannot save yourself by subtraction. What about the opposite direction? What if I save myself by addition? You want to add something to save yourself. Well, the problem is, let's say you do add. Let's say you're the most faithful church member in this county. You're the most faithful religious person. Here's the fundamental piece that addition will not, it won't delete this piece. 
How are you going to deal with the sins that you've already done? Adding will not erase. You cannot save by subtraction, nor can you save yourself by addition. That's why everything in this verse is pointing away from you. This is not your own doing, so that no one may boast. It's not about human achievement. It's not about religious performance. Instead, it's about this word grace. By the way, the word grace, I found it intriguing to discover there's not one recorded instance that Jesus said the word grace in all four Gospels. I couldn't find him say it once. In fact, I neither could find where Jesus said, I love you. And yet we know that he loves us, even though he didn't say those words. To go one further piece on this Bible thing, the word grace appears even more times in your New Testament than the word love. Grace is a big, big deal. And fundamentally, this is what makes Christianity and Easter so distinct. Always find it intriguing. Maybe you have an app on your phone like I have one on mine. That's primarily the way that I get the news these days. Of course, you can follow various pieces, what might interest you. You can follow your favorite teams, that kind of thing. And when it comes to religion, I happen to follow Christianity and other pieces of religion, the only thing that really appears in my news feed is the Pope. He's the only thing that the news finds worthy. Whatever Pope is in fashion of the day, whatever one's in Rome. This doesn't get any publicity in the world. Yet the Bible says it's so important. You can't save yourself, not by subtraction, not by addition. Now, if you think you don't deserve grace, by the way, you don't, that's one thing. But if you think you don't need grace, by the way, you do, I want to show you you do need it. Look at this in verse 8. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved. Now, that word, again, some of you have memorized it, and it communicates to us something that's really powerful, that grace is the thing that does the saving. Grace, the cross, the resurrection, that's what saves us. Years ago, there was an ad posted for a dog in a lost and found. I love this one. Maybe you've heard of this some years ago. Again, newspaper, that's how we used to communicate back in the day. Again, lost and found, and the dog that was lost went by the following description. Lost dog, mixed breed. Blind in one eye, limps due to arthritic condition. Patches of fur missing due to mange. Does not hear well. Answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> now you think about a dog like that. If that dog were in the local pound, even the most dog-loving people here probably would pass by that dog right? The Bible says you're not a pure breed, you're a lucky kind of dog. The only reason that that dog had value really is because the owner loved the dog. You're lucky. You are a spiritual and moral mess is what the Bible says. You're not a, you're not a pure breed, okay? You're not a $5,000 dog or a $10,000 dog. You're a mixed breed, you got dressed up for church on Sunday and the pastor insults you like this, right? That's what the Bible says. And again, the big deal about Easter is this thing, grace. And again, most Americans, we have a better understanding of love than we do this word grace. And grace is God's ability 
to deal with your indifference toward him without giving you what you deserve. Grace is God's inexhaustible supply to forgive you and act loving and merciful to you despite your indifference toward him, your rebellion against him. And grace is something you need. A doctor is not going to come and give you and offer life-saving surgery for someone who's healthy. That's malpractice. God's not offering you grace because you are altogether just got it together with a bow on top. No, that's not you. The fact is that God offers grace to people who are in need. And again, grace is such a big deal. How big a deal is it? Back in verse 7, we didn't read this a moment ago, but I love this verse. I think this verse explains so much. It's the why to everything difficult in the universe. The Bible says this. Can you read it with me? So that in the coming ages, let's read this together. Ready? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that the universe, the meaning of the universe, all the difficulties, all the challenges have to do with this. He's building everything so that we would be the trophies of his grace. Do you remember some of you who are, uh, went to high school? My little high school, we had a cabinet of trophies. And I thought the end all be all to my life would be to somehow get my name in that little trophy case. I thought, gosh, if I could just, you know, perform so well. And the Bible says at the end of time, a believer is a walking, talking trophy to the grace of God. We are a laser fireworks show. We are, if you will, his gracious Grammy, his Oscar, to speak of what he's done. That's why the cross is so important. We are in his display case for eternity. Now, there's more to heaven than that. Don't simplify that. But in so many rich terms, we're going to point back to for all of eternity what he did at the cross, how he was crucified for us, how he was raised for us. So the Bible next says here back in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved. Little phrase there. It's a familiar phrase to many evangelicals. You have been saved. Just key in on that for just a moment. The cross and the resurrection, they're not a reward for the good religious works you've done. The resurrection isn't a bonus like we're going to give you retirement. We're going to give you, you know, 10% at the end of the year at Christmas because you're such a good employee. No. It's grace that you have been saved. Jesus' death and his resurrection is a free gift to you. And it's not a free gift to Republicans as opposed to Democrats. It's not a free gift to white as opposed to black or Hispanic or whatever your race or ethnicity might be. It's a free gift to anyone. It's a free gift to anyone. You say, well, Pastor, I've got a lot of felonies on my record, or I deserted my kids years ago. It does not say that only some people get grace. All of us are grace. So you're not saved by your good deeds. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a, a big basketball fan. I had a great game to watch last night. I grew up in the state of Kentucky, and our team's not there this year. I really felt that they were just going to cancel the tournament since Kentucky wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, why have it if we're not there? But anyway, Tracy really, one of the things that I irk her with is I love to sit on a Saturday afternoon and start 
playing an old show and watch some of the old athletics back in the day, and I found one. Um, this really gets her up and gets her moving, and she starts working in the kitchen, so it's got, it's got two great things. So anyway, <laughs> I don't think she's here, and if I want her to know that, I'll let her know. So Larry Bird, right? Larry Bird, Larry Legend, Boston Celtics, NBA, old show about Larry Bird, and Bird and the Celtics are playing back in the day the Seattle Supersonics. At the end of the game, five seconds to go, I think the score is about tied. It's tied. And so Celtics are over there together in a huddle like they would normally do. And Casey Jones, who I believe was the coach back in that day, drew up a play. But the only problem with the play is that Bird wasn't taking the last shot. So Larry Bird said to anyone who would hear him in the Celtics bench, he said, I think our last play ought to be to get me the ball and everybody get out of the way. Casey Jones looked at Bird. He said, I'm the coach. You're not. And then Casey Jones looked at the rest of the team. Here's our play. Get Bird the ball, and everybody get out of the way. <laughs> That's what Easter is. Easter is Jesus doing something for you. And the only thing you're contributing is you're a minus in it. The Bible doesn't say here, this is important, key in on this. It doesn't say you're going to be saved. You're halfway home to being saved with hopes that you'll be saved. It doesn't say that. It has the past tense there. You have been saved. This is the difference grace makes. It's a huge difference. See, if you're saved by your religious performance, then the Bible here would say, well, you're going to be saved. You're halfway home to being saved. Keep it up and you'll be saved. If it's about that, no. But instead, you have been saved. It's an accomplished fact. In fact, in verse 8, it speaks of this, but also verse 6, if you look there in your own Bible, it speaks of believers as having been raised, past tense. Now imagine if I took the Lombardi Trophy and I got permission from the NFL commissioner, took the Lombardi Trophy and drove it over to Frisco and went ahead and handed it to Jerry Jones here in the first part of April and just said, you guys have already won it. Here it is. What's well, an incredible amount of confidence in a team that may not deserve that in recent years, right? That's exactly what God's done. He's handed you the trophy of being saved. He's handed you the trophy as having accomplished it. Listen carefully. This is not about your performance. It's not up to your feelings. It's not up to your religious upbringing. This is about what Christ has done on the cross. You have been saved. So Jennifer Garner and Samuel L. Jackson in this commercial I seem like see every 10 seconds, they will say to me, what's in my wallet? And I say to you, what's in your heart? See, you either are saved or you're not saved. There's not a halfway being saved. We've got a lady here who's pregnant. Not halfway pregnant, is there? Right? You either are or you're not. You either are saved or you're not. You're not saving yourself. The switch is either on or off. This has to do with the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Because everyone picks a Savior. For many Americans, your Savior is yourself or your Savior is the government. You need to pick a better Savior. You need to pick a Savior that's got a great track record. And again, the death of Jesus is not a reward for your hard work. The resurrection of Jesus is not a bonus. It's not a cherry on top of a really good religious performing year. It's got nothing to do with that. You don't earn your salvation. 
You're saved by virtue of what the cross has done. Christ has taken us from hell to heaven and from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, and from God's wrath to God's glory. The psalmist would say, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Now, you may be a believer here today, and you think, okay, it's Easter, so he's talking to the new folks. No, this is for you as well. See, many of us are convinced that the best way to get people to perform is through fear or a performance base, and many of our workplaces are just that way. But when it comes to terms with God, maybe God would get more out of us if he would drop the hammer on us every so often, right? Take more of the Brian May School Father. That was my dad. He was really good at dropping the hammer back in the day. But if, you are, if your relationship with God is only based on fear, I, don't, I, I do believe and do fear God, but I, I don't think you're rounding second base. See, here's how, here's how this works. When, when you understood what Christ has done for you on the cross, when you understand grace, something else happens. Let me show you. Imagine if I was in your house and uh, you weren't there. Now, don't ask why you're not there and I'm in your house. But not only am I in your house and you're not there, but I'm rummaging around on your kitchen counter, your apartment, your condo, that kind of thing, and I find a bill there. And a couple weeks later, I said, hey, um, by the way, I was in your house and uh, shouldn't have been looking, but I was in your bills. And that, that one bill, I went ahead and paid that for you. I just wrote the check or I... I just figured out how to pay it online, that kind of thing. Now, what, what would your reaction be? Other than, Scott, what are you doing in my house? What would your reaction be? Well, you'd say, well, it depends on what kind of bill you're paying. If it's your cell, cell phone bill, maybe 100 or 200 bucks, then not a big deal. But what if it's something bigger than that? Years ago, Tracy and I, uh, the first church I ever had the privilege of pastoring was in the town of Comanche, Texas. And we, really gracious people, Monty and Kay. Tracy and I didn't have any kids, and we were just discovering things like Texas blue bonnets and all that goes on. And Monty began to tell me a story about uh, how years before this, we were in his home, he'd lost his job, and neither one of them could find work, and they were behind, couldn't pay their house payment. This had gone on for several months, so the bank gave notice. So if you can't pay this note by this date, we're going to repossess your house. Gave a date, as I understood it, even gave him an hour to which that house was going to go up for auction. It was a small community. Everyone would know that was their house. Everybody knew that they lived there. They were church-going people. He said, I couldn't beg the money. I couldn't borrow the money. Couldn't get a job for the money. There was nothing I could do. The house was about to be sold. As the days increased, in fact, the very day that was going to be auctioned off, he said, we sat in our house. We so struggled emotionally. Can you imagine what that would make you feel like as, as, a, as a father and a mother that you couldn't provide and you're about to be turned out? So as it happened that very day, a friend of ours came by. He said, I drove by the bank, and I had some cash. I just paid off. The, it was like $10,000, two to $300,000 house, paid the rest of that $10,000 off. Now, would your reaction be any different if you're in that situation as opposed to the cell phone bill? Of course you would be. Of course you would be. And that's exactly where you are. If you think God is just a little bit graceful with you, like he paid a cell phone bill, then of course you're going to need fear to motivate you, to get you moving and going. 
But if you think that your debt to God is like a mortgage payment, only enough to buy all the houses in America three times over, then it's a total different equation, isn't it? You see, there are certain things I do and don't do because I greatly love my wife. She's put up with me now for nearly 26 years. I don't fear her. Probably should, right? <laughs> Bigger than her, most days I can take her on, right? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do the things she wants me to do. I don't go antique shopping because I fear her. I do the things she wants me to do because I love her. And if you're here today as a believer in Christ and you're only motivated by punishment reward, well, you don't get the grace of God. See, it tunes our heart. That's what it does. It humbles us. First of all, it shatters us. We don't deserve it, but then it tunes our heart. Remember when our radio stations, our radio in our car used to have the tuners? Remember that? That's what it does. It tunes our heart. So therefore, look what happens. When I walk with the Lord, I understand grace. His grace becomes imprinted on me. It's like he writes a law in my heart. His forgiveness becomes like second nature to me. I'm acting and motivated because of what he's accomplished. This is grace. This is the cross of Jesus. He's not coming to repossess us. He's not here just to pay a bill. It brings me real motivation. So how does this happen? Let's go back to Ephesians 2 now. Right here we want to concentrate on this little word. The Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. So how does this happen? Now watch carefully. The Bible does not say that all will be saved by grace. The Bible does say any can be saved by grace. The Bible does not say that all will be saved by grace. It does say that any can be saved by grace. And here's the distinctive, here's the difference. It's if you have faith. Now many on television and churches will speak about almost faith in faith or faith in a principle as if faith could be sort of a motivational tool to do really good at work. But let me give you a, a case in point here, and let me pronounce a term that maybe I'm going to mispronounce and some young person could come and tell me. Skittering, I think is the term. Skittering, that is when I take a skateboard and I attach myself to a vehicle, okay? In fact, when I looked at YouTube videos this week of this thing, is it skittering or is it sketching? One of those two. You could tell me later if I'm wrong, and I'm probably am. You, you attach yourself to a moving vehicle, Sometimes you can do bikes or but skateboard. I immediately think of that great movie, Back to the Future and Michael J. Fox, right? If all movies were that good. And can you see him moving through the little town square there as he's, he's just sort of catching a ride? Let me ask you this. If you were to do that, in other words, if you want your funeral done early, you want to say, Pastor, would you come do my funeral this week because I'm stupid enough to do this. But you attach, you, you get up close to a car, you're on a skateboard, and you find a rope, and you attach that rope to the back of the car. You picturing it? Now, what's moving you? What's, what's powering you? Could you say, well, the rope is making me go 10 miles an hour? Would you say that? No, the rope's not powering you, is it? The rope has no power. The power is in the vehicle. The rope is my faith. And that faith is only as good as to what I'm attaching it to. You have to have your faith attached to Jesus Christ. He will power you. Now, your faith can be ugly or it can be beautiful. 
You can attach an ugly strap to the back of that Jeep or a beautiful strap. Makes no difference about the quality of your faith. It's if your faith is attached to the right object. That's what this is talking about. By grace you've been saved through faith. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one that powers. The rope will not power. It can be an ugly strap. It can be a beautiful strap. But the strap has to be attached to the right object because Jesus is the one who raises you. The Bible says this quite clearly. Any who trust in Jesus Christ will be raised one day. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean spiritually or figuratively? Well, there's an element of that, but I mean this. One day, they may have my casket right here, seven, eight feet long. There I'm all stretched out. haven't shriveled up by that day, right? And you might come by and you might see me and tell me whatever you've been meaning to tell me all these years. Just tell me off at that moment. You can do it. Get after it. But that's not the last of me. Because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, my body will raise. I don't mean spiritually raise or kind of should have think about it being raised. I mean really raise. As if on Friday you took Jesus' pulse and there's none, and on Sunday he is alive. That kind of raise. When I think about this faith that you have to place, I think about a man named Johnny. Listen to Johnny this past week. Johnny said, when I heard the gospel, that's what you're hearing right now, that Jesus Christ died for me and he rose for me. Johnny said, I hadn't been in church, but maybe two or three times as an adult. I hadn't been in church in several decades. I couldn't tell you John 3.16. He said, I couldn't tell you the books of the Bible. I could not tell you who the disciples' names were. He didn't, mo- name, he didn't even know most of the stories about Jesus. But he said, what I did know was that I was a sinner and he was a savior. And Johnny said, I put my faith in Jesus Christ right then. By the way, it totally changed Johnny. He was an alcoholic at the time. And he gave his entire rest of his decades, now in his 70s, to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. All will not be saved, unfortunately. But any can be saved because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We're almost finished. But this word faith, if you're falling from a cliff and you see a branch, how much faith do you have to have to reach out to grab that branch? Not much. If I'm falling, I'm grabbing for anything that comes close. You don't have to have perfect faith. People will say, well, I don't have the faith you Christians have. It's not about that. It is about having enough faith to reach out. Don't judge the level of faith by some of the more mature Christians you might know. All of us were not born on third base with a good lead toward home. We all had to come to faith in Christ by grace through faith. This is the ground of all this, and it's powerful. See, most of your life, this next sentence, verse 9, says, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Most of your life is about performance. Kids are told to get their grades up. Employees are told to get their productivity up. But this is the opposite of that. This is about his performance and not your performance. By the way, you talk about pressure. You talk about pressure. There's pressure to be an athlete. There's pressure to be a teacher. There's pressure to be a police officer. I get all that. But how much pressure is it to live day by day thinking, if I totally mess this up this week, this day, 
I may never get any good with God. That's pressure. That's eternal pressure. Friend, that pressure has never been built to put on you. It was built to put on Jesus. So you have to pick a Savior. And many of you today have picked yourself as the Savior, right? I'm a father. I've had teenagers. I'm used to thinking this. If it's going to get done right, give it to Tracy, right? No. We think that all the time. But you're going to have to pick a Savior, and you're not capable of this. The government's not capable of this. This is not a stimulus check. This is not coming from them. It's not coming from a church even. It's coming from Jesus. So if you're going to pick a Savior, you need to ask yourself about the track record. Who else has your Savior saved? Who else has his life changed? Does your Savior, has he given sight to the blind? Has your Savior made lame people walk? Has your Savior taken pimps and prostitutes, drug addicts and alcoholics, and made them whole again? You've got to pick a Savior, and this Savior, Jesus, has a tremendous track record. He can do all that. His grace can raise you from the dead and change your life in the present. And your grace has to be, your faith has to be in a person. It's not about your accomplishments. It's about what Christ did for you. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.